This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. The Athletic. Lindsay Horan stuffs two nose plugs in to stop the bleeding and plays on. The Leon coach does the splits to get the ball back quicker. Five minutes to go and Leon are desperate not to let their 14-game unbeaten streak end against their biggest rivals, all in front of the club's new owner. And it paid off. Just. So how did Leon almost slip up to PSG? And what will their new ownership mean? I'm Sophie Penny, and from The Athletic, this is Full Time Europe. This week, I'm with The Athletic's full time columnist, Jesse Barker Humphreys. Bonjour, Jesse. Bonjour. Comment ça va? <laughs> ça va bien, ça va bien. As you can hear, we're focusing on Europe this week, but I have to give a shout out to that back heel flick goal from Chelsea's new world record signing, Myra Ramirez. I bet Jesse absolutely loved that one. On our recent show, uh, all about Myra Ramirez, uh, Felipe Cardenas predicted a header, but she absolutely raised him there. Do give that show a listen. Later, we'll be talking about Barcelona's young star, Claudia Pina. Great player, one of the biggest young players that the fans are expecting to explode in the next in the next years. But we start in France. PSG's Tabitha Chewinga used her blistering pace to score on the counter, and it looked like it would be an upset for the 16-time league champions Leon. But a 90-minute own goal from Elisa de Almeida made it one all at Park OL, and Leon could breathe a sigh of relief. Jesse, I felt like this game was much more even than expected. Yeah, definitely. I think Leon felt a bit off the pace. And I think if you've seen sort of their results from the start of 2024, they've had this sort of sense of, I don't know whether maybe you relax more, but, you know, they were so clear at the top of their Champions League group. They're so clear at the top of the league, obviously, in France. But it just feels like they've they've lost a little bit of bite. They had a couple of draws in the Champions League to sort of end that group. And then here, it definitely didn't feel like anywhere near the kind of dominant performance we might have expected from Lyon. I mean, it's not like they often like batter Paris Saint-Germain. Their games do tend to be quite close. But I think performance-wise, it definitely felt like um, a couple of steps away from where we'd maybe expect them to be. Yeah, definitely. I felt like they started off strong, didn't they, Leon, just in the first 10, 15 minutes. And then they sort of lost momentum and they gained it back again in the, in the last 20 minutes or something like that. But there was definitely a dip off in the middle. I, I was actually quite surprised looking at the XG that Leon's was 1.2, PSG's 0.5, according to FB Ref. I thought it would be a bit more even than that possession was certainly even but it's a funny one isn't it because regardless of whether PSG had won or not Leon are so far ahead aren't they in the league 
So I was sort of left thinking, this is fantastic for their performance against all the other teams they have to face this season. But in the league, it, it doesn't really mean much, does it? Well, yeah, and I think that's why it's hard to almost read too much into this game about Leon. I definitely think they don't feel like they're in a position to be super swashbuckling, shall we say, in Europe. It doesn't feel like they're at that level right now. But I guess the interesting question will be is, are they able to ascend to that level when we do get to March, when we do get to the quarterfinals, April, the semifinals of the Champions League, where obviously they could potentially meet Paris Saint-Germain again, you know, is this symptomatic of a Lyon team who are sort of going through these up and down periods? I think we saw this last year as well. Or is it the result of being in a league where they don't have that same like competitive urge? Although, of course, I will say, you know, Barcelona are a team who have a similar situation in Spain and they don't seem to lose any of that during the season. Is there anything that worried you that could crop up in the Champions League for Lyon? maybe worries the wrong word but I feel like I was surprised by how much they wanted to rely on long balls and set pieces against PSG who you think are a team that Lyon would feel like they'd be able to to play around and I think I also was sort of surprised by the lack of width on show and their ability to create 1v1 situations for players like Kadididiatu Diani obviously she was facing her former side and we know how dangerous a player she can be. She's someone who's played a lot of positions over the past couple of years. Obviously, when Marie Antoinette Cototo was injured, Diani's sort of been used as, as more of a nine rather than playing out on the wing. But obviously here, you know, she's back. She's got Ada Hegerberg alongside her. But I definitely feel like she's a player who it's really interesting to see her sort of move into this Leon system and play in quite a different way, I think, to the way PSG want to play, which is sort of a very you know, free for all, go for it, counter-attacking style, which we've seen like a player like Tabitha Chawinga really, really benefit from this year. Uh, Sandy Baltimore, another one who feels like she's picked up some some much better form than, than we saw from her last year and it's kind of thriving under that freedom. Feels like with Leon, they don't seem to have that same kind of willingness to give those players maybe the the space or the opportunity to, to really use the natural talent in that way. I definitely think that Leon could have made more of Diani on the right. There was that chance just before half time where Diani beat her two defenders and then had a lot of time to cross that ball in. And it felt like several times that space opened up on the right. The thing that frustrated me about this game, and this was both teams, was A, like you said, the lack of width. They were really narrow in their attack and all the crosses that were being sent in a lot of them were very inaccurate, just not finding their mark, nowhere near the players' heads, no connections, a lot of long balls leading to nowhere. But what I think brought the attacking game to life in this game was PSG's goal. After that, Leon just flicked a switch and they had so many more shots on target. And if it weren't for PSG's keeper having a fantastic game, I think they probably would have equalised sooner or perhaps even won the game. She pulled off an incredible left-handed reflex save, didn't she, towards the end with about 15 minutes to go. And I think hats off to her for that performance. 
Yeah, Kata Junior Kudnacek, obviously coming back to PSG for her second time at the club. And I feel like she's been having a really good season uh, generally, but this performance was very, very impressive. A couple of point blank saves from headers and, and not the kind of, sometimes you see a goalkeeper make a save and you're like, oh yeah, but it was kind of coming right at them. You know, you can see her moving her hand to make the save. And she's like quite an interesting character, I feel like, because she's been one of those goalkeepers who it is almost, she has been kind of in and out of teams a lot of the time. So, you know, she had a, a really strong run at Paris Saint-Germain. She was at first choice there, you know, in a time when there were players like Anne-Catherine Berger at the, the club and, you know, she held down that spot. But when Christiana Endler came through at PSG, she sort of pushed her out. Kudnacek goes to, to Wolfsburg, gets some game time there, but again gets sort of moved on as Merla Flums comes through and has now sort of found her way back to, to PSG. And so she feels like one of those goalkeepers who maybe is a result of circumstance as opposed to like her actual ability. We haven't seen as much of, um, but I thought this was... PSG have struggled to find like a goalkeeper that they can really rely on ever since Endler went to Lyon. Um, and I think this was a really, really great performance from her and it's kind of nice to see her getting her plaudits she definitely saved them in in a lot of uh, chances there when Leon were kind of heading the ball at her seemed like every two minutes towards the end of the game we have to shout out Tabitha Chawinga for Chawinga Chawinga qui est passé Chawinga face à Christian Eder et l'ouverture du score parisien le but signé Tabitha Chawinga that pace for her goal I'd written it in the first half that if she was in a foot race, she would win. And I, I, I just knew it. And I thought that is exactly what they're going to do for their goal. I'm not bragging here, but I did predict it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just her pace, beating Vanessa Gilles. And that ball from Eva Gertino. I think you could just tell, couldn't you, from the first half, that if they got the ball to Chewinga, she was going to be blistering on the attack. And Man United felt her how difficult she was to play against on the attack as well when they played in the early Champions League games against her. Yeah, I'm really, really enjoying watching Trewinga in this PSG team. I think something that is so fun about PSG is they really give their players, yeah, the opportunity to to show what they can do and, and make goals themselves. And, you know, we saw last year Trewinga absolutely tear up the Italian league at Inter. She gets this move to PSG and is, again, just looking absolutely fantastic in the French league. And it's not only her pace, the finish the outside of her left boot finish. And what's funny is she tried something similar earlier on in the game and it arced almost the wrong way and like went beyond the, the left-hand post. But she got this one just right. And yeah, it feels like in women's football right now, she feels like one of the like purest you know, strikers of the ball. Like, I feel like I look at like Chewinga and Lauren James as like the kind of players of like, if you want to see how to like hit a ball at a really elite level, they're the players you should be watching because it's not just about, I mean, she can obviously get herself into those fantastic 1v1 situations, but the finishes that she pulls out when she's in them, so, so impressive. Yeah, it shows, shows a lot of composure to be able to do that. Obviously, we have to mention that Leon were missing one of their really big defenders, Wendy Renard. She's out from injury. She was watching on and it must have been a very painful game for her to watch. So I think, obviously, it is a Leon side who maybe not at their full strength defensively, although I'm not sure Renard would have been able to keep up with Chewinga anyway. Um, <laughs> they've still got Mbok, haven't they? Who's a, who's absolutely brilliant in the back. A real stalwart of that Lyon team, been there since 2015. So after some Coupe de France feminine action, 
Lyon have a break in the league until March the 3rd, but PSG have to play their game in hand against Guingamp at the weekend. It's been a big week for Lyon. They've just been bought by Michel Kang. So change is afoot. More on that next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You're listening to Full Time Europe from The Athletic. Sophie Penny and Jesse Parker Humphreys here with you on Full Time Europe. As I mentioned, Leon women have just been bought by Michelle Kang. To explain what's going on, here's the Athletics women's football reporter, Charlotte Harper. Bonjour. So, American businesswoman Michelle Kang is the new majority owner of Olympique Lyonnais Féminine, OLF. That means Leon's women's team. The women's club is now officially a separate entity, so full and independent from the men's team. Kang has bought 52.9% of the women's team, and she's adding to her global multi-club organisation, which includes NWSL side Washington Spirit and England women's championship side London City Lionesses. London City, though, win it back. Comes to Boy Lorca. Will she have a shot? She will! So why did Kang want to make the women's team independent? Well, many European women's teams are affiliated to men's clubs. And so all the power and decision making is focused on the men's side because they bring in more revenue. The women's team is never seen as a priority. And by being independent, Kang can dedicate all her resources to the women's team. So what's going to change? Well, in her first ever press conference, Michelle Kang did not hold back. She said that Lyon's training environment for the women's team is not the best, the training centre is not up to standard, and it's unacceptable that the women's team play most of their games at the 1200 capacity training centre stadium. So what she plans to do is bring in specialist performance staff, so to train women as women, not as small men, to build a bigger dedicated women's training campus in a separate location, to construct a 15,000 to 20,000 capacity stadium for the women's team and to engage fans to increase attendance. Now, Kang sees women's football as a commercial viable option. She doesn't want women's football to be a charity and she certainly doesn't want it to be treated that way. Kang has big plans, a big vision and wants to raise the bar of the professionalisation of the women's game. A lot of big words there from Michelle Kang. Jesse. what do you make of that? I'm very, very intrigued by the sort of Kang takeover that we're seeing. I think it's exciting to see a team like Lyon, with the history it has, to be bought by someone who's so clearly ambitious. But at the same time, I'm really intrigued to see uh, how Kang's ownership plays out. And I don't mean just Leon here. I mean, you know, looking at the fact that she's got the Washington Spirit, that she's got the London City Lionesses, because she's really like gone all in on women's football. And I love that. That's fantastic to see. And I think, you know, Charlotte's obviously talking about how, you know, she sees this as a commercial opportunity. And I think that's that's clearly correct. But obviously, so much of the commercials is tied into 
the on the pitch success and you know Leon especially are a really interesting case here because they've got so much pedigree but also they feel like a team who are potentially in danger of being left behind I know in the past we've sort of had you know rumors of Leon's demise have been greatly exaggerated as they showed when they thrashed Barcelona in that that Champions League final a couple of years ago but at the same time we are seeing you know teams like Barcelona teams like Chelsea teams like Arsenal you know investing more and more money getting better and better it's not a one horse race which it was at points for Leon uh, in the past couple of years and it's going to be really fascinating to see how Kang actually deals with the football side you know is she going to be able to recruit the sort of front office figures that she's going to need to ensure that you know, the financial backing that she's giving these teams is turned in not just to the commercial success she wants, but also to actual good results on the pitch. I think also it's interesting about where the players sit. They want competitive games, don't they? And Arda Hegerberg did an interview just recently with L'Equipe and she said, I've been here for 10 years in the French League and she said she's barely seen any development around the championship and the status of professional players. That's a big concern to be raising and I, I do wonder whether Kang stepping in is a probably going to make Leon a more attractive prospect for the players but if you don't have the league also progressing that's going to be very difficult now we know there's there's change of foot there's going to be a professional league uh, in France starting this summer run by the ex-Leon president Jean-Michel Olas and he wants all the players in that league to be pro I wonder what you think Jesse do you think that that's what the league needs? Is that going to make it more competitive? And do you think that's going to help keep keep the big players in that league? It will be interesting to see how it plays out. I do think, you know, there are arguments to be made that the best French teams obviously can sort of compete with the best in Europe. You know, we've seen this year, obviously, there's two French teams in the Champions League quarterfinals. Uh, Paris FC obviously narrowly missed out on making the quarterfinals, but, you know, we saw how they performed against Arsenal and Wolfsburg. So in some ways, I think it's it, it's hard to judge how much is sort of that Lyon are very good and they have the resources to not slip up uh, in the way that Paris Saint-Germain and Paris FC don't, you know, so they have to sort of spread themselves across Champions League group stages and the league and then they drop points there as opposed for it not being a competitive league. But I think this is going to be a really interesting challenge generally because how do you make other teams invest in the league you're participating in? You you can't really. I mean, you can push for these kind of things. But, you know, I think also, especially in England, it's easy to forget that the Premier League, which many of our WSL clubs are associated with Premier League teams, is the richest league in the world. So, you know, sort of seven of the WSL teams are like among the the 20 richest football teams in the world. So of course they're going to be able to, they are able to invest more money within their women's teams. Now, we don't always see them do that, but I don't think there's any question that that there's potential for that there. I think it's harder to judge in some other European leagues, like the costs of what it might be to to keep up and how financially viable that is for certain clubs, I think is a, is a bit more of an open question. I don't think there's any doubt. I don't want to suggest that, you know, like these clubs couldn't do more. I think obviously they, you know, everyone could do more if they wanted to. But I do think, again, this is going to be a, a challenge for, for plenty of leagues. You know, England is probably the the league which has at least... The, I think the teams who are pushing the most in terms of investment and, you know, but we can look at France and say, yeah, I mean, Lyon win every year, but you've got a similar situation in Spain where Barcelona win every year. 
the Bayern-Wolfsburg hegemony in Germany is also hard to break. And, you know, I think even in Italy, obviously, Juventus were top of the table for a very long time. And now it's really exciting to see Roma kind of come and push them off their perch. So I think actually that sort of like competitiveness question is going to be a really, really interesting one to see how that plays out in the years to come. Definitely. And I think France are trying to solve it to some extent this year by having a playoff where the top four teams of the league standings meet in two semifinals and then the title is decided in a one-off final, which actually could be very interesting given what we we just said about how close the PSG Lyon game was at the weekend. I mean, do you think that that's something that other leagues could start doing to try and spice it up a bit about who wins the league? Yeah, well, obviously Italy have not quite the same kind of setup, but they sort of split the league in half during the season, uh, halfway through the season, and then everyone sort of plays each other again based on those halves. And I think that that is kind of fun. Like it encourages you get a load of high level competitive games between the top six teams or whatever it is in, in that top of the division. Um, and I can see why that's attractive. I think the problem is, is the playoff element is something that I think from a European perspective, lots of people are very resistant to. Of course, what's fascinating is Michelle Kang, the Lyon owner, is coming from a market which puts everything on the playoff. So when you've you know got uh, someone like Hegerberg saying you know, it's it's kind of not fair. We, you know, if we win the league, you don't want to then like lose it in inverted commas because you lose this one-off game. Well, that's exactly how the NWSL and the American model works. And I think this comes back to what's so fascinating, going to be fascinating about Kang uh, having these European teams and this US team is the footballing cultures in those places are so different. And I think it's exciting to see leagues maybe try different things out. I don't think there's like a right or wrong answer here, but I do think sort of the European cultural view of football is very very different to the American one and I do think there are tensions within that I feel like we could talk about the French League all day uh, but we are going to have to wrap up our discussion there so thank you so much for joining me Jesse. Merci beaucoup Merci beaucoup do read Jesse's full-time column it's out on The Athletic and check out Charlotte Harper's articles on Michelle Kang's takeover too now it's time to rotate in studio off to Spain we go Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to Full Time Europe with Sophie Penny. The Athletic Spanish football reporter Laia Cebello Herrero joins me from Barcelona. Hola, Laia. Hola, how are you? Good, thank you. Uh, we were speaking about Leon's unbeaten run earlier and look at Barcelona's 16 games unbeaten now in the league this season with a 3-0 win over Sevilla at the weekend. But it's not all about Alexi Puteas or Aitana Bonmarti. It's Claudia Pina who's caught your eye. For people who don't know, tell us more about her and why she's standing out to you. I mean, the good thing about Barcelona is that they don't only have one or big player or two big players. They have like plenty of good players that uh, will probably came out in the in the next years. And Claudio Pina is one, one example of that. He was on loan three 
seasons ago to Sevilla, the same team that she scored against the, uh, last weekend. And she's like a great player, one of the biggest young players that the fans are expecting to explode in the next in the next years. And she's a forward. She plays like in the uh, left flank normally, but again, as many players in Barcelona, she can play in different positions. We have seen her playing also as a kind of midfielder, left midfielder again. So she hasn't been having that many opportunities probably to, to shine and to prove her talent because it's a kind of a difficult flank for, for Barcelona because you have their Salva Parayuelo, you have their Mariano Caldente and both of them are like big stars in, in Barcelona and you know it's not as easy as the red flank where you have Aitana Bormati and then you have Caroline Graham Hansen and it's pretty easy to choose uh, which player should should play in, in that side so um, yeah the left flank for Barcelona is not that easy uh, there's a lot of competition there and obviously Claudia Pina is waiting for, for a big opportunity. I think probably this is like her best season in Barcelona. So yeah, she's very young though. So yeah, I think she's going to, to give us great moments in the next years. Has she been scoring a lot recently if you say it's her best season? Yeah, I mean, in the last 10 games, she has scored six goals and she has been like a starter six of that 10 games. She scored a goal against Sevilla. She scored a goal against Sporting de, de Huelva. I mean, I mean, she scored two goals against Sporting de Huelva, but one was a great goal from a free kick. Will this open the deadlock? It's Pina! That is spectacular! I think she's like having like probably the, the season where she's having more, more chances. Yeah, and it must be difficult fighting for that position against such big names. One of the names that you've said before that she's fighting against, Mariona Caldente, who got two goals and two assists in the Copa de la Reina quarterfinal, that 8-0 win against Sevilla. So she's also in form. And one of the big differences between Claudia Pina and players like Mariona is Claudia Pina didn't go to the World Cup, did she? So she's not involved right now in the Spanish women's team set up is she exactly Claudia Pina was one of the 15 players also was Mariana Caldente both of them signed that uh, email that they sent to the Spanish Federation and the difference was that Mariana asked to Vilda to go to the World Cup at the end uh, like I think it was in May or June or something like that so she went there and I think she really took advantage of the, of the opportunity because she is a player that has had like lots of injuries in the last years. And every time you see Mariona playing, you think, why is, is, isn't she playing a lot? If you saw like the, the games in Spain during the World Cup, probably every time she was playing, she was one of the best players in Spain. So it's quite difficult to understand why is she not the, like the starter uh, sometimes. So, she has to, to renew this season. So she was one of the biggest topics in Barcelona because I think they need her. And obviously with Oshola leaving, she has more chances playing in the middle of the attack. So she's having like a, a massive season this, this season and probably it could be like the, the turning point for, for her. Mm. And in terms of Claudia Pina, what impact will that have her not having that big impact from from the World Cup and the Spain team that Mariona is clearly seeing and that's clearly driving her? Do you think that it's actually harming her chances in the Barcelona team at all? 
Yeah, but at the same time, Mariona is older than Claudia Pina, so it's easier for her to have more chances in the in the team because because she deserved them. So I think it's not that much about going to the national team and proving during the World Cup because she probably wouldn't have played that much with the with the national team during the World Cup. So it was not a big miss for for her. And I think like the relationships between Barca and uh, the national team, it's like independent. So I think it's just a question of having patience and time because, you know, you have Salma there, uh, obviously, that is one of the players that probably is going to be the one of the best players in a few years. So it's a difficult position. But, but again, I think uh, Barcelona has like very poly- polyphasetic uh, players and Jonathan Giraldez or the next coach will be able to find a place for, for her. It is interesting, like you say, Salma, player of the tournament at the World Cup last summer. And then obviously Claudia Pina is only 22 compared to Mariona Caldente, 27. So it looks like there's a lot of exciting young talent coming through. And I was reading your article in The Athletic about how some more Barcelona fans from the men's team are coming to watch the women's team because of the renovations to camp now. Obviously, this year, the women don't have access to the camp now. They have access to the Luis Campanch Stadium, which is about a 50,000 capacity. Does that harm Barcelona women in a way? Because in 2022, they obviously set two world records, over 91,000 attendants. If they don't have a stadium where they can put those crowds, I mean, they they clearly can draw those kind of crowds. So is that... Does that kind of get in the way of Barcelona women's ambition at all? I think they are. They were pretty aware that that, that was going to happen because Camp Nou needed some kind of renovation. But yeah, I think it's like the probably the worst time because you have like the team that ha, that is the current Champions League winner, and you have half of the team that is the current uh, World Cup winner. So probably in a year that everybody is just looking at the at the women's football in Spain more than they 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 used to it was a, like a big opportunity for Barca to just to sell a lot of uh, tickets i know that they have increased the price of the tickets for going to the women's team so yeah i think they miss a chance there and but it's not something that people is talking about because everybody knew that that was going to happen the, this year and i think they are comfortable playing in in Johan Cruyff Stadium uh, which is yeah quite far away from the city but it's also far away uh, Montjuic so it's not uh, something that it's that bad for them because they know that they are going back to to Camp Nou at, at some point. I guess they could never have predicted that Spain would win the World Cup really so when they were planning the Camp Nou yeah. renovations because it kind of came out of nowhere didn't it so so we'll uh, we'll yeah. let them off for that one. Right so much to talk about thank you so much Laia we'll help definitely have you on more throughout the season but I will say adios for now thank you. Thank you so much. You can read more of Laia's thoughts in our full-time column out every Monday on The Athletic. From fantasy football to the Champions League, we have you covered for just $1.99 a month for 12 months. Search theathletic.com slash WSL to sign up. We'd love it if you left us a rating and a review before you go and please hit follow on your podcast feed. If you've got a question or a topic that you want us to cover, just email fte at theathletic.com or message us on at theathleticfc on Twitter and Instagram. Hasta la próxima. See you next time. You've been listening to Full Time Europe, part of the Athletic Football Podcast Network. 
The producer was Sophie Penny and the executive producer was Abby Patterson. To discover and listen to other great athletic podcasts just like this one, including our brand new daily football briefing, search for The Athletic on Apple, Spotify and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. The Athletic.